Yesterday is always my day that I study for this morning and this evening. And I started about 10.30, and over the past week, I've been compiling all this information, and, and Mondays are the day I put it all together, so it's still fresh in my mind, and I'm able to remember it the next day because my brain is old. And so I'm having a great morning. I start like 10.30, and I'm just typing away, and it's around 2 o'clock, and I hit this back button, and suddenly my whole study disappears. Right, and I went, oh dear. So, <laughs> and so I'm, uh, I'm beginning to panic a little bit, and I was distracted. I was working on my iPad, which I normally don't do. I have a, uh, an actual home computer that has set up, and it's got all the bells and whistles for me. But because I've had this little puppy that's a little terrorist, and if I leave her alone, she she terrorizes the whole house, and so. Um, so I've been carrying my iPad around with me, and that's why I was doing my study on my iPad instead of a reliable computer. Now, I love my iPad, but for some reason, suddenly my, my study's gone, right? And so I call up uh, the IT department here, and I said, I'm desperate. I need help. I, I know that we can recover things. I know it's got to be here somewhere. Can you help me find it? And I... Uh, both guys, Pete and Clay, they had no idea where the study went. I mean, these are like the top of the top guys. I mean, they know everything there is to know about computers, right? And they can't find my study. So about 2.30, I start all over again. And, and so, you know, I, I know the information pretty good now. Um, <laughs> Thankfully, so you know what? All things work together for the good, right? So anyway, I was a little discouraged, but you know, I got it done, and I was blessed because of it. So this week, we have Abigail, and I am a true fan of hers. And to set the stage, it is the time of David before he became king, and Saul hated him a whole lot and wanted to kill him. So David is having to branch out on his own. He has about 600 men that are traveling with him. And he's kind of living as a nomad. And him and his band of soldiers end up in the town of Carmel, or just outside of it. And it's actually right near Mount Carmel, where Elijah, you know, he, he, him and the prophets of Baal, they, they, they kind of battled it out, and, and Elijah beat them, and, and, you know, it was a great day. And so this is where David is now. And he meets this guy, named Nabal. And Nabal isn't a very kind man, as we'll find out. And I nicknamed him Nabal the Terrible, or Nabal, whichever. I'll call him Nabal. But before we get into God's word, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Abigail. What an amazing woman she is. And as we study about her life, the choices she made, the wisdom that she showed, would you help us to truly understand that it was you working through her and everything that she did, the choices she made, they were from your, your heart, your mind. And so we ask that you anoint this time, 
that you would anoint the words that I speak so that we could truly understand these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be studying out of 1 Samuel 25, 2 through 38. It's my time for difficult. All righty. Okay. <laughs> I'm having trouble with technology right now. <laughs> I begin to wonder if it's me, right? Okay, so 1 Samuel 25, 2. It says, there was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. So this tells us that he is very wealthy. I mean, that's a lot of livestock, isn't it? And it was the, the time where they would shear all their sheep. So we know it was springtime. That's when that was done because the, the sheep needed their wool during the winter, right, to stay warm. And so that we're, we're looking at springtime here. Verse 3, the man's name was Nabal, and his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal and his descendant, uh, as, excuse me, but Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all his dealings. And so we actually kind of have a beauty and the beast story going here, except in this case, the beast never turns into a prince. But we learn that Abigail is very smart as well as beautiful. And you're probably wondering, well, how did somebody very smart and beautiful end up with such a knucklehead? Well, her parents, you know, probably arranged the marriage, knew that he was a descendant of Caleb, I mean, this is the same guy that hung out with Moses and Joshua. He's the one that was one of the two spies that went into Jericho and met Rahab. And so he was a great man of God and a great honorable man. And so they're probably thinking, wow, you know, Nabal's a descendant. You know, let's, let's pair up our daughter with him. Well, he ends up not being anything like his ancestor. And he ended up being very mean and cruel. And obviously, he didn't share any of Caleb's uh, honorable actions. And so verse 4, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal, peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time, and while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. So this is kind of like the first diplomatic meeting that they were having with this guy. And the timing was such that they were celebrating the sheep shearing, kind of like celebrating harvest. You know, it's a time where finally, you know, they're able to make some money, restore their, uh, their, their coffers, that kind of thing. And the men recounted the fact that they had been hanging out with his shepherds and never stole or harmed them in any way, in fact, protected them. And then verse 8 goes on to say, Ask your own men, and they will tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of, time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. 
And so since this was a time of celebration, it was custom customary to be benevolent. And they weren't acting or asking for anything extraordinary, and yet listen to Nabal's reply. Verse 10, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young man. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. And so he's accusing David of running away from Saul. Well, actually he was because Saul wanted to kill him, right? So he says, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Wow, so not only is he being ungracious now, he's being rude and belligerent. So why would he do this? This doesn't make sense because he also knew that David had to be quite a warrior also. But according to Jewish history, Nabal was an ally of King Saul. So now he's playing politics as well as being very unwise. Verse 12 goes on to say, So David's young men returned and told what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. So David is red hot mad, isn't he? He wants to kill them all. And he immediately grabs his weapons and his men, and they're starting to march to Nabal's compound. Verse 14, meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants sent went to Abigail and told her, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He is so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. So here we have confirmation from Nabal's own shepherds what had happened. So David not only didn't steal from the shepherds at all, he protected the shepherds from people that may take advantage of them, kill them, steal their sheep, those kind of things. And so nobody could reason with Nabal at this time. He was being so obstinate that now Abigail is going to have to take matters into her own hands. Verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. So there wasn't any time to waste. I mean, she saw the, the gravity of the situation. She had no doubt heard about David and his conquests on the battlefield and knew they were in for uh, great trouble. So she gathered what supplies she could and sent them on ahead of her. And also, she did not tell her husband because he may try to stop her. I mean, knowing him, he would try to stop her from taking all these supplies to David. Verse 20. So as she was riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, she saw David. 
and his men coming towards her. So think about this for a moment. Her loser of a husband had just insulted David and his men. She knew his reputation as a soldier. I mean, after all, he killed Goliath. She had to have been terrified because her husband had just insulted this man. And she probably thought that perhaps David, if he had a mind to, he could kill her quite easily. But you know what? She did it in her anyway, didn't she? She did it because she wanted to save her family. She wanted to save her friends. Verse 21 goes on to say, David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was stolen or lost, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. So, wow, David in his younger days, he also was a hothead. However, he also loved God, and he would listen to God. And in this situation, though, he was so mad, he wanted to kill all the men in the compound, all the men that worked for Nabal, all the relatives of Nabal and Abigail. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She was coming to beg for mercy for her family. And so she humbled herself, bowed down at his feet. That's amazing to me. Now, mind you, this is a very, very wealthy woman. This would be like Bill Gates' wife doing this. I mean, kind of put it in perspective. This is how wealthy Nabal was. Well, let's see what happens. 24 and 25, she fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered, uh, and, and, excuse me, and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. That cracks me up. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. So mind you, she's never done anything wrong whatsoever, but she is taking responsibility for what happened. However, she does draw attention because David knew that this naval guy was, a, was an evil man. And in fact, Abigail herself called him a fool, as his name suggests. So I go, oh, well, I have to look this up. So I looked it up on the computer, the one that was working, and sure, <laughs> sure enough, Nabal actually means fool. So this guy was named a fool. And that cracks me up because, as you know, back in those days, oftentimes they did not name their kids, <clears throat> excuse me, until they began to see their personalities develop and to see, you know, what kind of name would fit you. Like right now, I named my puppy Nala. I think I should have named her Terror, you know, because she is, right now she's, that's exactly what she is. Everything gets attacked, um, including feet, shoes. Um, my shoelaces haven't been tied for two weeks now. Um, but, you know, this, I would have named her perhaps something different until she grew up. But in this case, Nabal's parents saw that he was a very foolish child, so they named him Fool. That cracks me up. 
So anyway, verse 26. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives with, lives, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. So these are great steps for reconciliation here. First, she apologizes. She humbles herself and she apologizes to David, accepting full responsibility. And now that she's opened up the, the lines of communication, she's able to present her case here. She explained to David that taking vengeance into his own hands is not what God would want him to do. Verse 27, she goes on to say, And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. I mean, she didn't bring gold or silver or jewels, which no doubt she had all those things, but that's not what David needed. She was very practical, too. Not only was she wise, she was practical. And so she brought him the supplies he so desperately needed for his men. She was righting the wrong that her husband did. This shows great wisdom, again, softening David's heart. Verse 28, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. She reason reminding him what a godly man you are, what a good track record you have. You don't want to ruin it now. It says, even when you were chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. I love that. She recognizes that David's protector is God. And no doubt she realized that her protector was also God. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Isn't that an interesting reference to what he did with Goliath? It says, when the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, she believed he would become king someday, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Now you can almost visualize as she's talking, as she's speaking these words, all that anger and stress that David was under begin to melt away. I mean, that can be when people talk to you about the good things of the Lord, can't you just feel though sometimes your burdens begin to melt away because we need those reminders. David needed a reminder of the great things God has done. And this is exactly what Abigail was doing. She reminded David of God's faithfulness to him and the continued blessing as long as David stays in the center of God's will. Let's listen to David's response. Verse 32, David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. He knew who was behind all this. He says, Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. 
Wow, David was thanking God that Abigail was sent to him to stop him from this vengeance. And no doubt all the innocent people who had done nothing wrong but be either related to Nabal or work for Nabal. See, he was going to kill all of them. Verse 35, then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. So Abigail was successful, wasn't she? And it's interesting. You're probably going, well, why, what about the rest of the guys? You know, it says he won't kill Abigail's husband. Well, see, Abigail's husband, Nabal, was on the top of the list. They were really angry at him. So if Nabal was safe, everybody under him was going to be safe from David's hand. Verse 36, when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. So typical. So he was probably thinking, wow, I really... I really stuck it to that guy, you know. I completely insulted him, and I told his, his men to go away. They were a bunch of outlaws and worthless and, you know, whatever other insults he could think of. You know, he was probably feeling very proud of himself at that point. And he's throwing this big party, and he's completely drunk. It says he was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. How wise is that? Have you ever tried to talk to a drunk? You don't get anywhere, do you? And if you do get anywhere, then they don't remember it the next morning, right? So she was very wise in not telling him, not to mention that oftentimes they become violent when they're under the influence of alcohol, right? So 37 and 38. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, probably a little hungover too, his wife told him what happened. As a result, he had a stroke. So what happens when your blood pressure gets too high? Well, we know he was a hothead, right? So when your blood pressure gets too high because you're so angry, you can actually cause yourself a stroke. So, and he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. So he was like in a coma. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. So he kind of got his comeuppance, didn't he? So basically what happened is God protected Abigail from Nabal's wrath because she probably was afraid to tell her husband what she had done, even though she averted all this mayhem and murder from David, she was still having to go back and tell her husband what she had done. Had to have been very scary because he was also known to be abusive. So it wasn't uh, above him to not hit her. So what happened to Abigail after that? Well, David was so impressed with Abigail that when he found out that Nabal was dead, he sent a messenger to her and said, hey, you want to marry me? And she said, sure. <laughs> I mean, he must have been a gem compared to her, her husband Nabal, right? But she said that she was so impressed with David that she said, I would be a servant in your house. But instead, he wanted her as a wife. And so she became his wife. So a great ending for Abigail. But what lessons can we learn from her? First one, depend on God. Isn't that what Abigail did? 
Isaiah 41.13 tells us, For I hold you by your right hand, I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid, I am here to help you. Abigail knew that. She knew that God was going to be there to help her in this situation. She trusted God. Her husband was about to kill them all because he wasn't being reasonable. She had no choice but to act. She was caught between kind of like two hotheads, but one could care less about God, one loved God. And so she reminded the one that loved God how much he needed God and that God was faithful. And this tells us that even though her husband was not a godly man, Abigail was. She depended on God. And our next lesson is faith with works. James 2.17 tells us, but also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What does that mean exactly? Well, when you have true faith, you can't help but have works. It has such an impact on your heart and your soul, it comes out in actions. And we need to make sure we don't ever look at how faith manifests itself in other people. It is how does God want you to act out in faith? Whether it's, you know, not all of us are evangelists or preachers or teachers or, you know, anything. But God has given each one of us a gift that he's pushing you, prompting you to do. And that's how we can step out in faith. And it could be very, very baby steps at first, but they're still stepping out. In this case, what did Abigail do? Not only did she apologize for her family and her husband, she acted with that apology. In other words, she righted the wrong. She gave David the supply she needed. So she was acting out in faith. And just riding on her donkey up a ravine, it doesn't even say anything about any servants being with her. It almost sounds like she was by herself because she'd sent the servants ahead. And so she was truly putting her faith into action, wasn't she? Then the next one, to submit or not to submit. Ephesians 2.20, excuse me, Ephesians 5.21 and further, submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Now, I know we never like to hear that S word, but hopefully we can answer a few of your questions here on what this really means. It, this verse truly states how we are to act. We are to submit to each other as an act of worship to God. That is the example that Jesus gave us, wasn't it? He submitted to his father when he went to the cross. You remember what he said? Not my will, but yours be done, Lord, my father. He went even to the cross because he was submitting to his father. When Abigail bowed down before David, she was submitting to David, wasn't she? out of an act of worship towards God. However, the scripture that comes into play with today's uh, uh, heroic lady is found in Ephesians 5.22 and 25. And we know this one well. You've probably heard it many times. Where it says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands 
as to the Lord. Again, it's an act of worship. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, that is the example that we are given. Just like Christ is head of the church, he's placing the husband as head of the family. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, stop right there. Does everything mean, okay, it's a, not a wonderful translation with this particular word because for me, when I, I'm so pragmatic, I go, everything. That means everything. Well, short of sinning, okay, we do not have to submit and sin, okay? So that's a very important distinction there. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. Now, that's important. You see, if the wife submits and the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, there will be perfect harmony because the husband will love his wife as he should. It will be that agape love. And so she will have no problem submitting to a husband like that, right? But what does that really mean? And you're probably thinking, okay, well, wait a minute. Abigail didn't submit to her husband, so why do I have to submit to my husband in all things? Well, let's look at what submission is and, more importantly, what it isn't. Now, I actually stole these notes from a study Jeff did, okay? <laughs> so this is, this little portion here, this was taken from his notes. So this is written by him, okay? What it, it, what it isn't. It does not mean becoming totally passive. It does not mean being voiceless. It does not mean pretending to be ignorant. It does not mean glossing over the truth to keep from seeming to not be submissive. It does not mean following your spouse right off the proverbial cliff or folly of sin. It does not mean authoritarian domination of one person over another. It does not mean wives being women are gullible and therefore should always take a back seat when a conversation with her husband who happens to be a man. It does not mean that you have to do whatever the husband says, especially if he's asking you to sin, right? So what does submission actually mean? Well, I love this. It's in the word, submission. We are all on a mission, aren't we? And that mission is what? Go out and preach the gospel and make disciples. That's the great commission in whatever way God has you doing that. So who is head of that mission? Christ. Jesus Christ is. Therefore, we are all sub-missionaries, in a sense. Hence the word sub-mission. I love that. Okay, those were Jeff's notes right there. But by this time, you're probably wondering, where do you fit into all this? Well, let's look at our gal, Abigail. Now, I have counseled many women who have said that they have a difficult time uh, submitting to their husband because he is such a knucklehead. And what do I do? And it's like, wow, you know, that can be very difficult. And I usually go through, well, you don't ever, you, you're never, ever required to sin for your husband. However, if it's not sin, 
then you need to pray for wisdom, just like Abigail needed to pray for wisdom. But Abigail is just like a lot of women that have come into my office and say, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do about my husband. So when does it become necessary not to submit? Abigail was forced to go against her husband's wishes, therefore entering, in a sense, a non-submissive state with her husband. Why? Because her, his actions were going to cause great harm to her and her family. So let's look at some modern-day examples of what that could be. Uh, Non-submission, and these are firm, absolutely firm things that you do not have to submit to your husband for. If he wants, let's just say he wants to cheat on your taxes. You don't have to go along with that. You don't have to sign the form. What if he wants to lie on a mortgage statement? or excuse me, a mortgage application, or an auto loan application. He wants to lie on that. You do not have to sign that paper. What if he wants you to get drunk with him? You don't have to do that because that also is sin. What if he's abusive to you or your children? You do not have to submit to that. You do not have to submit to that. See, these are all sin. These are firm. You never, ever have to submit to that. Because first and foremost, you are a child of God, and you will never be required to sin. All right, so causes to uh, do a, a non-submission, but it's got a little gray area to it. I kind of call them the soft ones. So let's say your husband is a fisherman, and he really, really has to have the latest bass boat. And you go, but honey... Uh, we can't buy groceries this week. We really don't have the money for a bass boat. Do you have to submit to him in that if you guys are going to be starving? No. Don't sign the application. You don't have to do that. What if he wants to make reckless financial decisions? Don't have to submit to that. But with the caveat that you have to pray hard through these things. You need to ask God for wisdom. He will give you the wisdom. What if he doesn't want to work? Notice I didn't say can't work, but let's just say he just wants to sit in front of the TV and watch wrestling all day. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Um, you know what? That, that, again, takes a lot of wisdom. That kind of sounds like where Nabal was, right? You know, he was doing all these things. Actually, all of these kind of sound like Nabal, don't they? I mean, he did everything. Um, you see, these circumstances are those we absolutely need to pray hard about because we can do great harm if we're not approaching these situations with God's wisdom. God may tell you to go ahead and, you know what, he wants some harebrained idea financially, wants to invest in the, the Golden State Bridge, and you're going, no, honey, it's not for sale, trust me. You know, that kind of thing. You know, maybe the Lord's going to tell you, you know what, I'm doing something. I want you to back off. Could. He could do that. Of course, we can't ever put God in a box. Know that he's got it all under control, just like in Abigail's situation. God had it under control. When Nabal died, he was there protecting Abigail. And then there's those uh, causes to submit, even though it's a very difficult situation. Let's say your husband doesn't want to go to church. You know what? God can change his heart. We can't. Wives cannot change the hearts of your husband. 
I've tried. Back in the dark days. <laughs> I don't want you to get the impression that Jeff does this now, okay? <laughs> but um, he doesn't want to go to church. Now, that's something Jeff did do. You know, I was going to church. I loved the Lord. I wanted him to come with me. He was, uh, he was, he was a drunk, and he didn't want to have anything to do with church. And when I would try to talk him into it, finally one day he just says, you know what, I am so glad you found religion, but don't push it on me. I go, all righty. And it was through certain circumstances that I began to realize that I was in the way of what God was trying to do. I needed to back away. It was a very wise, um, older, mature woman that told me that I was standing in God's way and that God needed to deal with my husband directly. And you know what? God did such a better job than I did. So much better. I am not a very good Holy Spirit. Not at all. But I tried. I tried. But let's say uh, he doesn't want you to go to church. Now, that would be tough. I've had that one. My husband doesn't like me going to church. Well, there's a difference between not doesn't like you going to church and demands that you don't go to church. And at those, those, are, again, are areas where you need to pray hard. What would be the most loving thing to do where God can use you as an ambassador? That's what you have to think about. It's at these times that 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 comes into play. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, did you hear that? Some of them do not obey the word, either they're, uh, they don't care about the things of the Lord, they're backslidden, uh, in their walk, or they're not even believers at all, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Do you understand what that's saying? It's by your witness in the home that you will win your husband when he sees what a godly woman you have become and that you doing the Jesus thing and the church thing is making you so much of a better person that he's going, hmm, maybe there's something to it. It says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What does that mean? Respectful and pure conduct in the home and towards him. Showing your husband respect. Even though he may be going down a dark path, you're still showing him respect. So let's say your husband doesn't let you go to church. You know what? You can still watch online, can't you? We're getting pretty good on our online services, I might add. And you know what? You can teach your children the things of the Lord, too. You get to become a Sunday school teacher for your own kids. They can sit with you as you watch online. And you don't have to, or you could watch it later even. You don't have to do it exactly at 9 o'clock at 1045 and 1230 when he's there. You can take time when he's gone to work. You're not being deceitful. You're just being wise. You need to be fed. And so you just sit down and you have church when it won't bother him. But what does this verse really mean? Is that we can win our husbands by our godly lives, our witness, being an ambassador of the Lord, being like him in everything that we do, not arguing with him, 
demeaning him, being disrespectful to him. As frustrating as it can be at times, we have to really pray for God's wisdom in this area. Just like Abigail, I'm sure, had to pray every single day for Nabal because he was such a challenge for her. Ephesians 4.21 tells us, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. What does that mean? That means, you know, it's a small correction, saying, you know what, maybe you shouldn't be doing that, you know, edification or uh, like a small correction is exactly what Abigail did with David, didn't she? What she said was very edifying. It says that it may impart grace to the hearers. So how many times as wives do we hinder the work of the Lord in the lives of our husbands or anyone else who might be difficult because we do not heed these words? Instead, we lash out in anger. What if Abigail had screamed and yelled at David? What do you think would have happened? What if she was hysterical and was, no, you can't come into the camp. You'll kill everybody. You can't do that. She didn't do that, though, did she? And wrapping up, Abigail made a decision to save her family, but by doing so, she had to go against her own husband. Again, she was caught between a rock and a hard spot, wasn't she? Granted, he was a knucklehead, but it could have had dire consequences had she not approached David. Because Nabal was known for his harshness, but David was also known for being a warrior and a little bit of a hothead too. But, you know, our first lesson from her was her dependence on God. God always has our back if we're doing what is right if we're doing what his will is. In her case, God took her husband out. Of course, we should never want that, but we must always trust that God knows what he's doing. Amen? We must trust him. We must do what Jesus did. And Philippians 2, 5, and 8 says, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, it's saying even though Jesus was God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he wasn't hanging on so tight, but made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. He became a baby that wore diapers, taking the form of a servant. He was a servant of all, wasn't he? He would wash the feet of the disciples. That's something that a lowly servant would do in a home. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, he submitted to his father because it was God's will that he should die for our sins. That's what real submission looks like. So, you know, the next time we want to have our way and we want to manipulate people around us so we get our way, remember our example of Jesus submitting even to the point of death. And we need to 
copy his example, don't we? But we will need to ask for his grace. We will need to ask for his mercy. We will need to ask for his peace. And he is willing to give that all to us freely. Those are his gifts. He never holds back blessings from his children. Nabal did things his own way, and look where it got him. When we do things our own way, nothing good ever comes from it because our hearts are deceitful and wicked, aren't they? Abigail, however, followed God's way, and she received honor and blessing. I will leave you with one of David's psalms. I love this. And it's found Psalms 1, 1 through 6. One through six it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Isn't that exactly what happened to Nabal and what happened to Abigail? She was counted among the righteous because she followed after God. Nabal, however, did not. And he got what was coming to him because our God is a righteous judge. So the next time you think that the bad guys always seem to win, remember this verse. Remember that God always has our backs, just like he had Abigail's back. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful example of not only uh, wisdom, but she was uh, she always seeking after your face, Lord. She, she was doing so much and caught in such a difficult situation. But, Lord, you showed yourself to her. You gave her that wisdom that she had. You gave her that grace that she needed for the moment. You probably gave her the peace also that she needed in order to walk into a difficult situation. Thank you for her, Lord. And as we ponder her, as we meditate upon her, Lord, would you give us the strength to be an Abigail, to seek after your face, your wisdom, and whatever difficult situation we come upon. Because you are holy and you are righteous, you will give us that gift of wisdom to any who ask. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.